you're visiting with us here this morning, a special word of welcome to you. My name is Andrew. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Emmaus Road. Hey, if you've got a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 14. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's one there right in front of you. Otherwise, uh, the words will be up there on the screen. Uh, I usually read the whole text before we go, but we're just going to dive right in today here. Is that all right? Everybody good with that? All right, so you could keep turning there. Romans chapter 14. If you recall, Romans 12.1, the Apostle Paul makes a shift in what he's been writing about for the first 11 chapters. From chapter 1 to chapter 11, essentially, it's theology. And Paul writes in Romans 1, verse 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe. And then he begins unpacking what this salvation really is, that, that, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone is taught in Scripture alone, so that God alone gets the glory. That's what we call the gospel, that Jesus actually came to do for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. And as I said two weeks ago, like right thoughts about God will actually and eventually lead to right responses. And so uh, Paul then shifts gears and starts providing the implications of this gospel because listen up, gang. Yes, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Martin Luther said that. And so Emmaus Road, we're not going to talk about matters of, of salvation theologically here today, but rather matters of salvation functionally here today. Paul's going to share with us how does this gospel inform differences between us? How do you handle it when you gather together with a bunch of different people, primarily Christians, who have different views on things, and you don't agree on stuff? That's where he's going today in Romans chapter 14. You ready? Let's jump right in. Verse 1. This is what we read. As for the one who is weak in faith, Paul writes, welcome him. And so right off the bat, if you're here today and you're like, faith? What the heck is faith? Like, I just came for the donuts. When is this service over? Um, I'm glad you're here today. I'm really glad you're here today. Maybe you're like, man, I'm just new on this faith journey. I, I just kind of jumped in. I'm just barely kicking the tires. I just, just ripped the cellophane off of my very first Bible that I bought at the Christian bookstore or off of Amazon or whatever. If that's you here today, this place, I want you to know, is for you. And especially, especially if you went to Bible study with Moses and you know every Greek and Hebrew word for everything that I say, um, I want you to know that this place is for you as well. And we are a people uh, here at Emmaus Road that, that do not uh, exclude. We are a church for everybody here at Emmaus Road. And, and, and so that's why I call you often my faith family. No matter where you are on this journey, we open wide the doors of this church and welcome you all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Verse 1 says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now, you got to listen up. The Greek word here for opinion, you got to listen up. This is huge here. The Greek word here is, is Facebook, okay? That's... <laughs> and the Hebrew equivalent is Twitter. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um... I kid, I kid, but just you wait, 2020 is right around the corner, and I have a feeling we're just going to be bombarded with a lot of opinions on social media. So I joke about that, but essentially what Paul is teaching here in verse 1 is this. Your opinions don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. So don't elevate your preferences to God's precepts. There's a difference. God has been very clear about a great many things in the scriptures, but for whatever reason, he has left a lot of things not talked about. 
And so just so you're aware, our opinions are not equivalent to the commandments. So don't fight over meaningless matters because everybody's got opinions, gang. And they're just like armpits. They all stink, right? In comparison to God's word. So Paul goes on to write in verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything. Now, if you realize that's, that's me, I, I like to eat anything and, and everything. Um, and then he writes, vegetarians, listen up. Uh, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. There it is. You got vegetarians, you got to eat some bacon or something. You got to have a steak every so once in a while. Um, but as I said, we are a church for all people. And uh, that includes you too. I guess, I guess. Um, but now, much to my chagrin, uh, there, this has nothing to do whether you're a vegan or not, vegetarian or not. But what he is referring to is an issue that came up back in the first century churches, believe it or not. If you didn't know, the Church of Rome was made up of a bunch of different people from all different kinds of cultures. And there were some people who made up their minds uh, that, that they were never going to eat meat, like, ever. And the reason is because they couldn't be sure if it was used uh, in, in sacrifice to idols and, or if the farmer that was, that was you know, giving this meat in, in the marketplaces was actually a pagan or not. And they imposed their rigidness on the whole church. But if you know your Bibles, the Apostle Paul addresses this issue in great detail over in 1 Corinthians 8, and he basically concludes there that there's no such thing as a false god, so go and have your steak. It's okay. It really is. And he writes in 1 Corinthians 8, 8, he writes this, food does not bring us nearer to God. We're no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Now, it's interesting, at least it is to me, that he categorizes, that Paul categorizes the one who is weak as the one who has the most rules here in Romans 14. Did you catch that? That's the weak person. The weak are the ones who might look on the outside like they're really religious, but they really don't understand the fullness of the freedom that is theirs in Christ Jesus. And so he goes on to write verse 3, let, let, the one who, uh, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Here's what he's driving at. Both the eater and the non-eater, the freedom guy and the rules guy, if either passes judgment on the other, they both have the same core problem. Pride and self-righteousness. That they begin to elevate their understanding of whatever secondary issue the quarrel is over to the level of God's understanding. Like, since I believe this and since I said this, then you should too. Have you ever met somebody like that before? Maybe even in this church? Possibly. Now, in the church today, we're not talking about food sacrifice to idols, are we? That, that, kind of, that kind of stuff is over. It's not a thing anymore, at least here in the Western Hemisphere. But Emmaus wrote, you want to see Christians get at it over secondary issues? I could tell you hundreds of examples of experiences that I've either uh, had witnessed to or heard from other pastors and friends of mine, and, and they just couldn't believe uh, that some of the debates and arguments that happened over such trivial and stupid matters, because it, it, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but sometimes there's arguments in churches. Yeah, okay. Um, and just so you know, what I'm going to share with you, they did not happen to the any churches that I served or, or ha are currently serving, because I've only been here for about seven weeks or so. But these are just some of the ones that I've, I've heard about, and this is kind of crazy. There was once a church dispute over whether or not to install bathroom stall dividers in the woman's restroom. Awkward. <laughs> right? 
right? Just so dumb. I mean, the guy's got to have stall dividers too. Just saying, just saying. There wasn't an argument over that. It was just the women's restroom. Um, there was a fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. There was an argument over that in one church because, you know, you got you to like, know who that guy is because there could be somebody walking around you're like, who's that guy? Why do we have a picture of him? You got to have the right one, right? There was a big church argument over the discovery that the church budget was off by 10 cents. So dumb. It's so dumb. But finally, someone gave a dime to settle the issue. Yeah, some of you will get that a little bit later. You're slowing the uptake this morning. Um, number four, there was a heated debate one time to see if the church should serve deviled eggs at the Easter lunch. And basically, honestly, it was settled by balancing it with angel food cake. No joke for dessert. And gang, there's a ton more. As you can imagine, sadly so, but the truth of the matter is, if we're not careful, our pride and our preferences, they kind of get in there, don't they? And we begin to despise one another and to pass judgment. But, but honestly, one of my favorites is, is to watch, oh man, am I going to get in trouble for this? Um, when moms get together and talk about how to educate their kids. Um, if you let a homeschool mom and a public school mom get together, if you haven't witnessed this, it's probably one of the closest things you're going to see to UFC. It, it, I'm telling you. <laughs> the homeschool mom would say something like this. Well, um, we homeschool, Zach, uh, but you could send your kid. You could send your kid to that God-forsaken place where they've outlawed God, and they've outlawed prayer like Nebuchadnezzar did in Babylon. Uh, you, could, you could have them be taught that they're just a cosmic accident. You, you, could, you could be, you know, they, they could hear that their granddaddy was a monkey and stuff like that. They might even get stabbed in the face by a gang. Uh, you could do all of that. That's fine. But we actually love our son, right? <laughs> and then you get the public school mom, and she's like, oh, yeah, but there's some things we actually want for our kid, though. Um, we want him to have something, like, you know, called social skills. And it, it's kind of cool that Zach can churn butter and make his own clothes and everything. But, <laughs> but we want Kayla to know, like, math and, and play sports and stuff like that. Not only that, but the Bible encourages us to take the gospel to the darkest places of the earth. And if the Christians just kind of bubble up all together, who's going to reach them? And then you have the third mom that joins in and she says, well, I private school my kids. And then the two of them kind of get together and say, that's blasphemous. How good you, right? Now, okay, may, maybe the talk doesn't always go like that, but they think it. And not every one of them, I know that, so don't bombard me after the service, but there have been some moms who have said that word for word to me and have actually confided in me that that's exactly what they want to say to the other person. Now, there are no Bible verses on specific ways to educate your kids. Those are just their highly informed opinions, right? You see, that's despising. And it's passing judgment, isn't it? I'm telling you, you can take whatever issue you want to and you can have biblically informed Christians like they were here in Rome, and that will happen. And the reason I know that they were biblically informed Christians, because look at verse 4. It says, you who, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Gang, over and over and over again during my years of ministry as a pastor, I've talked with biblically informed Christians on whether or not we should have tattoos there's that one. Whether, whether Christians can drink or not. Can the church hold a dance in its building? Can the church accept gambling winnings as tithes and offerings? 
Can women not just serve, but administer communion? Should Christians go to rated R movies? And get this one. Should they be allowed to listen to secular music? Now, that was a big one when I was growing up in high school. Um, I actually went to this Bible camp, and they showed us this video called Hell's Bells. That was the, that was the name of the bit. That's, um, Google it later. Hell's Bells, which was all about the dangers of secular music. Did any of you see that back in the day? Am I the only, like two, three? Okay, awesome. Um, watch it. It's funny. It's just, it's good comedy. And um, do you know which band they highlighted as the secular band to stay away from? Journey. <laughs> Journey. And so as I'm watching this, I'm like, man, you're not going to like my Guns N' Roses and Metallica and Nirvana. That's just crazy. But Emmaus wrote, some Christians not only have a hard time interacting with unbelievers for whatever reason, but we unfortunately also have issues within our own faith families. How sad is that? Because you see, when we pass judgment on someone who God accepts, we are in essence saying, God, your judgments aren't enough and you need a little help from me. Now, we don't like to think of it like that, but that's exactly what we're saying when we do that, every one of us. And the only way to look down your nose on someone else is to actually take your eyes off of the Christ, uh, cross of Christ. And again, at the root of all this is our pride and our self-righteousness, which the Bible says we don't have any anyways. But oh, how quickly we forget. And then in verse 5, he brings up another issue that they were struggling with, which, which is the right day to actually worship on. Because you see, the Jews also worshiped on the Sabbath, and that was somewhere between Friday night and Saturday night, and they did that for a long time. But sometime after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it became really custom to worship on Sunday, the Lord's Day, the day that he actually resurrected. Now again, it might sound crazy to us, but again, this is something that split many churches back in the day. But Paul's response here is amazing. I love it. Instead of saying something like, guys, just get over it. It's not really that big of a deal. Just make worship the main thing, and you're good. You're good. Instead of giving an answer to settle the debate once and for all, the Apostle Paul actually goes in the opposite direction. He, he writes in verse 5, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. In other words, you got differences? Okay, that's fine. That's fine but you should be fully convinced of the stance that you're taking in your study of the scriptures alone, not based on your own preferences and opinions. Do you like Paul's response here? Are you okay with that? Because maybe if you're like me, you're like, man, Paul, that's going to that's gonna make the issue better? Really? Isn't that going to cause more division? More stubbornness? It's like you're trying to put out a fire with gasoline, man. What are you doing here? But here's what I think Paul is pointing us to. Remember, we're not talking about uniformity here, but rather unity amongst diversity. I think if Paul were here this morning, he'd unpack it for us and say, like, you want to show a picture of what the gospel can do in this world? And man, I wrote, what would it look like if a whole bunch of people who disagree in all kinds of secondary issues like politics and education and worship style and dress style, whatever. The list is long and lengthy, isn't it? What if they were able to, with great conviction and with great humility, lay all of their preferences down for the sake of Jesus Christ and the gospel? What would that look like? That's what he's driving at. 
I mean, what a great picture of unity that would be, right? And if you think that's amazing, here's what he goes on to write. Look at verses 6, 7, and 8. He says, The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, and the one who eats eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Now, gang, this is remarkable. Did, did you just hear that? Did I just read that? In essence, what Paul is saying here is that the why behind the what matters. And the why is the glory of God. It's an honor to him. And I think the reason Paul writes this, especially in verse 8, is because he wants to illustrate, listen up, he wants to illustrate that two people can be doing two completely opposite things and both can be pleasing to God. Did you catch that? For the church in Rome, it, someone could eat and someone also could abstain both to the glory of God and he would be pleased with what both of them were doing. Now think about this. There's nothing more opposite than living and dying, is there? And so the why behind the what matters most to God and the why is all about honoring the Lord, not one-upping your brother or sister. It's about his glory. It's not about yours, which again is rooted in pride and self-righteousness. Listen to me, church. It's not pleasing to God. It is not pleasing to him to be united to him and to be divided from your brother or your sister over secondary issues, whatever that issue is. Now, that's not to say that we can never confront our brother or sister, Sure we can. Jesus said that we were supposed to hold each other accountable in Matthew chapter 7, especially when the Bible is very clear. But before you go point out the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye, Jesus says you better check the telephone pole that's hanging out your face. In other words, the way that we deal with small deals is a really big deal. The way that we interact with others will reveal the condition of our hearts. Is this all about me and my preferences? Or do I love my brother and sister enough to lay them all down and speak the truth in love? Emmaus wrote, this is a big deal to God. It is. If you didn't know, Jesus in John 17 prays what's known as the, the high priestly prayer. And he prays stuff like this for the church, for you and for me. He says, Father, may they be one as you and I are one. Now, Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are distinct, but they're equal, one God. And so again, he's not talking about uniformity here, that all of us need to think the same and look the same and act the same. That's not what Jesus is talking about. In fact, what he's saying, it's that more beautiful, it's way more beautiful than when everybody comes together in our diversity, but maintains our unity in the gospel despite everything that could divide us. And then he goes on and writes John 17 verses 20 to 23. Just listen to these words. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What in the world? How awesome is this? Jesus actually prays that Christians 
non-Christians rather, will know that we are Christians and that Jesus is who he says he is. How? By our love for one another. Gang, I think we're missing opportunities left and right as the church universal to put on display the power of the gospel. And instead, we settle for social media debates over things like politics. Give me a break. How awesome would it be to instead put on display the power of the gospel in such a way as to show our unity amongst our diversity so that the watching world will have to take notice and they'd ask, how in the world is that possible? What is going on there? And we can come right in and say, well, let me tell you about Jesus who's made it all possible. But that will only happen, gang, as we lay down our pride and as we lay down our self-righteousness first here at Emmaus Road for the sake of the gospel going forward. I gotta tell you, I love Paul. I really do. I strive to be a leader in the church like Paul was. He didn't start listing off a bunch of ways that the church was divided and then started giving remedies on how to fix all of that, although he could have. There was probably tons of division back then. But that would be leaving them with a, a list of things to do That would be leaving them with the law, but instead he appeals directly to the ultimate reason that we should be unified in the gospel. Look at verse 9 here in Romans 14. He says, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. In other words, instead of Jesus trying to be right, instead of Jesus always talking about his rights, you know what Jesus did? Jesus laid down his rights so that a sinful world could be made right with God once again. That's the ultimate example. Because how can we be the church and cling to our so-called rights when Jesus laid down his rights to establish his church? Gang, this isn't going to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be, you have to be intentional in this. It will cost you something. But, but remember, it costs Jesus everything. And not to jump the gun for next week as Brandon picks up Romans 15, but verses 5, 6, and 7 are hard to ignore when talking on this issue because this is a letter and it doesn't just wrap up nice and neatly at the end of chapter 14. The Apostle Paul writes there, may the God of endurance and encouragement. Why do you need endurance and encouragement? Because it's hard work. It doesn't come natural to us. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, gang, that's why I believe singing is such a big deal in church. I really do. Because it's a beautiful picture of all of us together in one voice singing about one thing to the one true God. Because it's probably the only time during the service where that actually happens. Have you thought about that before? Because when we pray, not everybody prays the same prayers. They might drift off in their own prayers or they might check their email or whatever. When we read scripture, there's someone saying it, but you're just listening. When someone preaches like me, everybody kind of hears it their own way. But when we sing, most of us lift our voices, some good, some not so good, but we do so at one time together to the honor and glory of God. And I especially love that word harmony. Harmony is not uniformity. 
Think about that. It's the singing of different notes that when they come together as one, make it more beautiful than any one individual note. And that's what we've been called to as a church. And Paul wraps it in verse 7. He says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Yeah, but they're different than me. Newsflash, you're way different than God. Way different than God. And that didn't stop him one bit. And in the gospel, he welcomed us into a relationship with him. So we are to welcome others into a relationship with us because of the same gospel. You see, we are a church for all people here at Emmaus Road. And that all people part keeps bringing God more and more glory. You think on that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we need endurance and encouragement in this. We do. This is so counterintuitive to us. This is so against our nature. We want to cling to rights. We want to be independent, but we are a dependent people, not only upon you, but others in this church as well. Continue to do that work in us to your glory and to your honor and all God's people's sin.